You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm glad that you are here. Though we are less of a cast today, we are excited for this show. My name is Frank. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. What's up, everybody? And down in the Morning After Ministry Studios in Safety Harbor, Florida, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. Guys, uh, Tim and Dell couldn't join us today. It's summer, vacations, church camps, personal camps, retreats, whatever, Disney World. Personal people camp? Are, like our, personal people, camp. People go camping. They go camping so for, them, for their own Tim stuff. and Delmar are gone. That means it's the progressive posse on here today. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I'm the only person <laughs> holding it down for orthodoxy in this room. That's right. So, <laughs> so, uh, oh, so hey. Man. I want to talk we, uh, about your when, view of the Trinity, actually. <laughs> when did we become progressive? That's what I, I want to know. Yeah, I'm with the libtards in this room, so we okay, are going that's to. that's not necessary. <laughs> I'm offended, man. You can't say that in front of me. I know, I know. I'm just I'm playing. liberal. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we, Nader. we're going to cancel. One time. Sure. <laughs> Julie Rose, got... if you're listening to this, these are jokes. <laughs> <laughs> these are jokes. <laughs> this is a hot one. We're just starting oh, hot. Man. All right, hey, hey, let's start with an easy question. We got a question from the Facebook group. Again, if Super you have easy. questions and you want to uh, maybe get your question on the show, uh, either send us a voicemail, which is in the show notes, or join our Facebook group and just ask a question. And or are, post something in another group that you didn't know we were a part of. We might take it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Facebook group. One thing that gets you to go to the top of my list is if you post anonymously. Because then I'm oh. like, I don't know who you are, and I'm for sure going to answer that question. Yeah, that means any you're hesitation. trying not to get fired is what it means. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. means we can answer it and be extra salty because yeah, 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 yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we might not like you. We don't know. Yeah. So we, we can say who, what we yeah. actually think. <laughs> All right. Uh, actually, can one of you guys read the question or read this whole paragraph? I got it. Go. Is my internet good? Should I go? You're good. Okay. <laughs> question number one. All right. Should women serve as pastor? No, that's not question number one. We're going to get to that. <laughs> question number one. All right. This fall, I will be taking more direct oversight of the worship element for our youth ministry. However, my level of musical ability slash skill slash knowledge is limited to pushing a play button. Last year, we had a mix of lyric videos and live worship, which included our part-time worship pastor, one adult leader, and a handful of students. The worship pastor would play guitar, and the rest were vocalists. Uh, Occasionally, another adult leader would jump up and play the cajon or the djembe. Our worship pastor will not be able to lead worship for the youth next fall. And so I've been given the green light to hire a Christian band in the area to lead worship about half the nights next school year, utilizing some of our current students and leaders that have been involved. So there's two levels of question here. Let's, you want to take the high-level question first, you think? Yeah. First off, also, every time I see the word djembe, I get thrown off because I'm like, how do I pronounce it? And then I remember it's not what you think it Whenever is. Whenever I see the word djembe, I get like PTSD because I, I'm, <laughs> I'm over it. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I see Cajon, I laugh for a different reason, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, to, to make this question broader than just for youth ministry, I want to ask this in the broader sense. But the first question is, how have you effectively, for your youth ministry, created a culture of worship? And I think even in a broader sense, like, I think there's churches, especially churches that are, like, 
are very heavy on the preaching and the sermon, where like the worship will kind of go to the wayside. How do you create a culture of worship in your church at large? And then the the, the ground level question they want to ask is like, what resources do you have for music, songs, and you know, funny musicians? So when I look at the two questions, the high and ground level. When I think about the high-level question, I want to challenge a bunch of the presuppositions in this question. And then when I look at the ground-level question, you got to throw a dog a bone, and I'll just answer the question <laughs> for what I think uh, I see here. So when I think about high-level question, um, I mean, even just in some of the language that's being spoken here, the worship element for our youth ministry, you know, I want to challenge you to think outside of that box, which I'm going to assume this is a church— Based on all the assumptions he's making about what's needed for worship ministry and for a worship culture, there is an assumption here, I think, that there has to be a band with, like, drums and guitars and synths and bass and stuff. And I know we all say that we know this, but it really is true that that's not necessary. I think especially in student ministry right now, I mean, at least the kids that I've been around in student ministry, they're cool with just an acoustic guitar and somebody singing some songs. They're actually pretty cool with uh, lyric videos. That's what we use the majority of the time in my church right now. And then maybe a third of the time we have a couple of adults who are youth leaders who also happen to be on the worship team who will just play an acoustic guitar and have one vocalist, and it it works effectively. So, Give me an example of a lyric video. Is this like the moving background with the Yeah, we used to call them wow worship when they were real cheesy, but now they're cool because they're on YouTube. But yeah, the lyric videos that you would see like an artist put out where it's got some kind of imagery and then the lyrics are just coming up. So I don't think though a lot of them are I don't know that they were intended for and I don't know that they're very conducive to corporate worship in that kind of setting. I find it to be weird. So that this is another thing I would say, you got to find something if you're the main leader, you got to find some way that to engage worship that you can engage with too. Because what you, I don't think, I think what you can't do is be showing lyric videos that you think the students will engage with, but that you think are cheesy and that you have a really hard time engaging with because they will read the room. Um, And so if you're just like standing in the back, like not engaging, that's the best way to not create a culture of worship. So I would say, number one, don't assume that you have to have a bunch of songs. Um, Obviously, break out outside of the shell of thinking it has to all be music. Uh, There's a lot that the liturgical traditions have to offer um, in this regard. Prayer times, I think doing some artistic stuff uh, with students, and when we get to the practical thing, I'll talk about that. But, yeah, I just think break down some of your assumptions and ask yourself, why do I think we have to have this? Like, why do I think that I have to have four songs or six songs or – why do I think that I have to have somebody play guitar? What if we sing one a cappella song and I challenge students to engage with that? Or what if we read a psalm and, and do a different practice some of the time? Um, that would be my, you know, I think it's cool. You've got a band. You know, you can have a band come in and lead worship. That's pretty cool. Um, so maybe that's the only – there's nothing that says you have to sing every time you gather. I think you have to have – Music as a regular practice of your community of faith, I think, yeah, the Bible seems to indicate that that's that's a pretty normal thing. There's a command to sing. But there's nothing that says that every time you gather your student ministry, you have to have six songs. 
So what if on the weeks when you have you the keep Christian... adding more and more songs? Well, yeah, eight, you don't have <laughs> yeah, to have twelve good. songs. <laughs> you don't have okay. to have an entire album. You don't have to have any songs. What if half the time it's the band you brought in, and on the off weeks you just don't have music? It's okay. Well, he literally said he has budget for half the. Yeah, weeks so, like, what I'm saying is don't stress your unle- – unless you're getting a bunch of pressure that you do. But if it's all up to you, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like you're under any kind of biblical mandate that, oh, no, we have to do this particular element. I think worship can take a lot of different forms. So I would just challenge your presuppositions about why I, the form has to be exactly like I think it has to be. Because I, I know that that's when I get real anxious. It's like, oh, my gosh, no. And then I remember, wait a second, I'm a Protestant. I don't have a set <laughs> liturgy, so uh, we don't have to do this. I would say if you're looking to create a specific culture and you have the culture in mind that you're trying to create— the old adage of what gets celebrated gets duplicated. Yeah. So, and it's true because it rhymes. Therefore, you gotta you gotta apply it. So, look for moments where you can highlight things, and the more often something is gonna be highlighted and is gonna be celebrated, the more often pe- the little light bulb is gonna go off with people. I think that's how you create a culture, and it doesn't happen all at once. But in general, if people see you as the leader going out of your way to say, yes, this is what we're looking for, this is what we want, this is what honors God, then that's how a culture slowly begins to build. But Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither will be the worship culture of any particular group. So you have to realize that you're playing the long game if you're looking to build a culture and not just bring something in. You know, uh, you know, Jeff made the point that we're Protestants, and they're – there doesn't need to be, it's not required of a specific liturgy. I would take it a step further. We're talking about youth ministry. We're not yeah. even talking about the Sunday morning gathering. We're effectively talking about like a robust Bible study that's specific for, for teenagers. And therefore, there is no like liturgy for that. This is all like uh, the, the blessings and the privileges of being in a, in a country where we could worship how we want and we can have these like not parachurch organizations, but like these micro Bible studies in our in our church to be able to worship with students. So therefore, um, this is literally just creating biblical habits and patterns for our students, so that when they graduate from our ministries, they're assimilating well into our worship services yeah. and into our adult services. So I would actually take a step back. I, I really like what you said, Jeff, about you know. What are other examples of worship that our students could do? And so I wouldn't even think of like, okay, one Sunday or one whatever one night we have a full band and next week we'll have a lyric video. I would do – if you can get a full band once a month or twice a month, like be consistent with that. And then those other months, think very creatively but like consistently of like – Okay, well, what if we do? Uh, what if we read some? I mean, this is going to sound really nerdy, but like read creeds together, like the yeah. you know public do some public readings together. Um, if you want to do more large chunks of the Bible, read large chunks of the Bible. Um, and this is where I would be even okay of like reading large chunks of the Bible in like a very easy translation that would like yeah. the students can like grasp and understand. Um, you know, I know in the '90s of youth ministry, there was whole conversations about like. Um, uh, what's that thing? It's like a, it's almost like a maze on the floor, and you would walk through it. Yeah, a prayer, prayer labyrinth. labyrinth. Yeah, I get, Jinx. I get, I get, I get, I get, me a coke. I get slightly uncomfortable with like going down that kind of 
too of a mystical route. But like, I like the idea of doing like art for worship or, or like, I don't know, being creative with that. And then I think there might be a place of like, let's watch a lyric video or a worship video as an act of, of, of that worship time. But I think just creating a robust culture of worship so that our students don't just think, okay, three songs with a synth and bass is what worship needs to be. Because one of the issues that we often do in our student ministries is we set up our students to failure because we'll have a more like high energy, crazy, fun worship service for our students. And then when they graduate into our adult ministry, they're bored out of their minds because they don't have a more robust view of worship, you know? Um, yeah, would, high level maybe a good. question to ask is like, what if, because you don't have musical talent, what if part of what you're calling with this student ministry is there is to really teach these kids like how to pray? Mm. Like, you know, what, what if like you take the time, because frankly, that's a, that's a fair critique of much of our uh, youth ministry or just adult Sunday morning services in general. We don't like just pray a lot in our services. Um, so what if we took the time because, hey, this is not uh, a negative thing. This is a opportunity to do something differently than we thought. What if we just take the time to learn how to pray? Um, I mean, and, you, and what you, if what if uh, maybe you set a goal to go, you know, it's not, all, not, not necessarily about creating a culture of worship ministry in my youth group, but maybe a goal for me is to have some of the best, you know, praying people in my church in two years be kids that graduated from the student ministry who are now that, beginning to lead the prayer for the adult church as a whole because hey we didn't have the opportunity to have musicians here but that doesn't mean we can't pray and also speaking of prayer one of the things you can do is pray that kids that are musicians would show up at your youth group yeah. like god really can do that yeah. Um, maybe connect with the, the, the local junior, high school band kids. You're, you'll be in way better, uh, a way more likely uh, opportunity of recruiting more kids. I would you say this is the, really important you get too. The one Justin Bieber kid <laughs> with the hair. Um, I think this is really important too. Like, and this somebody said this to me in a uh, rebu- reproof, if not rebuke, tone, and I needed to hear it. Uh, just remember, you are not pastoring some church in your imagination or some youth ministry in your imagination that's off in the future. You are pastoring the group of students or the group of people that are in front of you right now. Wow. So stop, you know, stop acting like they are not, ah, they're not quite it. I find this in myself. I get this, like, frustration in me, particularly over music because I like it a lot, and I'm a musician. You know, when somebody cancels or we don't have drums for a week, I'm like, oh, man, now we can't do this song right and then it's like I need this little check in my spirit to go, but wait a minute. The people that are here right now are the people God has called me to minister to and to lead, not some imaginary church that actually doesn't exist. Like, I don't lead a youth ministry with a full band with two electric guitars, bass, drums, synth, four vocalists. Like, that's not who I lead. I lead this youth ministry that has no musicians right now. So then how do I be faithful to create a, a, a place where – People can engage with the gospel and with Jesus without having to have music all the time. Now, I don't think it's wrong to strive for that because the Bible does command us to sing, but it doesn't command us to uh, sing music that sounds just like everybody else. So you want to get the practical stuff? I'm ready to dive in. Yeah, go ahead. If you, uh, if you, I would, have, a, okay. you have a budget, dude. If, yeah. Like how, Number if, one, yeah. If, yeah, number one, you, you have a budget that has been given to you. I don't think you need to bring in a band. 
every other week. I think that, you know, if you want to do like a once a month or like, yeah. a, you know, especially during the school year, hey, we're going to do a big worship night at the beginning of the semester, at the end of the semester, but then use the rest of that budget. Jeff said, go find the high school band kids. If you have a Christian school in your area, mm. I guarantee you there is someone who is itching to be able to lead, who is not being given the opportunity because there's an upperclassman ahead of them or you know there's there's somebody else for whatever reason find that kid and say hey I have $200 a month do you want to be an intern do yep. you you know I don't I don't know what kind of budget you're talking about but say uh, here's what I want I want to do you know one or two songs a week we're going to do the big worship nights a couple times a semester but I want to do one or two songs a week and uh, I want to mentor you and disciple you and guess what you're going to be an intern you're going to get paid for this because there's a budget there so that way you're you have no choice but to show up and I get to lean in and when that one kid starts coming you never know who's going to start coming with them it's a good it's a way to build a group but it's also a way to get instant buy-in from a kid I would say too another idea is to maybe if you have some budget you know and you have a kid let's say in your youth group who has an affinity for music but doesn't know how to play an instrument uh, you might be able to afford to get him guitar lessons for like three or four months. And that's enough. I know it's a critique of modern Christian music that it's all the same chorus, but it is. So, you know, with a decent guitar and a capo and a few lessons, you can play a lot of worship songs. Uh, so that's another idea. And you know, if that's the case, there will be so much more ownership and engagement because that kid really wants to serve and do this um, than anything else. So that's, I love what you said, Andrew. Uh, I would just add the little caveat of you could maybe give a kid guitar lessons or vocal lessons. Um, tracks are an option. That is an option. Um, but again, if you but are not a, a person. Yeah, if you're like me and you think <laughs> it's real cheesy, your attitude of this is cheesy and I don't like it is going to seep out without you having to say anything. And kids are going to pick up on that. And it's just, I don't think it's going to work well. But here are some other uh, things that I use every week. Uh, one is called re, uh, re colon. Uh, worship, if you Google that, or re-worship.blogspot.com. It is a bunch, like a library of written prayers and liturgies and stuff. And so there's like a scriptural index, like there's calls to worship from the New Testament, for the Old Testament, uh, by topic. There's prayers from the Psalms, prayers from the Old Testament, prayers from the Gospels. Uh, so you can do that, and you know it'll be a starting point. Maybe you find a prayer that you like most of, but you don't like all of it, so change it. Um, so that can do that. That can be part of it. Um, there's a couple books that I have. One is called Every Moment Holy. There's a volume one and two. Those have a bunch of written prayers, so those could be good ideas. Um, do you have high school seniors who are really in touch with what's going on at their high school? Ask them to bring you. You know, maybe do it once a month. We're going to have a prayer night for our, for our, particularly for our high schools, and we're going to ask a senior from each of those high schools to bring the most. Uh, pressing prayer need from their school to our youth ministry night. We're just going to spend, you know, 10 minutes praying for each school. Um, you know, learning to do stuff like that, letting the students actually express themselves in those ways. Another thing I've done is go to an art store like a Michael's or a Joanne Fabric or whatever you got. Get yourself some cheap um, uh, blank canvases, some pastels, uh, read a psalm, play some cool instrumental music and have the kid maybe print the psalm out and group the kids up and have the kids do like an expression of that psalm in pastel 
you'll be amazed at some of the crazy stuff that art artistic stuff they come up with. And then um, you have instant art for your youth room, or you send it home with the kids, and they have yep. that tangible reminder of what happened this yep. week at youth group. Um, there is the Streetlights Bible, I think it's called. It's like a Bible over hip hop. That's pretty cool. You can do some of that. You can like let that play while you're doing some meditation. Lectio Divina, which is just a slow reading of the Bible in a couple different translations. Another good practice. Uh, so there's a lot of options. Um, finding musicians. Yeah, if you have a Christian school or a Bible college nearby, that's a gold mine for you. I, I think that's about all the ideas I have on the practical level. I, I just I just can't stress this enough what you said about the idea of like um worship like having a youth ministry that like has prayer as an emphasis like we hear all the time about student ministries in our own city or across the country that have amazing worship teams worship bands they have staff that are just in the worship of the youth ministry but like we don't hear much about like a youth ministry that has such a powerful prayer presence in their church that like they are praying for like 20 minutes in their service every Sunday, every, every time they have youth group. Like I, I'm, I like just got convicted even thinking about that and how that wasn't more of an emphasis other than like in one off sermon series or something about prayer. So that's a, that's a really interesting and powerful concept. Hey, uh, hope that question was helpful. Again, if you have questions about, uh, questions you want to hear answered on this podcast, leave us a voicemail or go into the Facebook group. Make it anonymous, and it'll pique our interest even more. Um, real quick, this last one I found interesting. So John MacArthur, well, let's start back. This article was found on Julie Royce. Uh, Johnny Mac in my backpack. Johnny Mac yeah. and smashed by Julie Royce. Big shock. Yeah. <gasps> John MacArthur, the headlines, John MacArthur disqualified others for their kids' behavior, now, dis- but, but exempts himself. And so basically – this is a, a snippet I read from the article. I'm just going to read it straight up. MacArthur also clarified that when Paul says an elder's children must believe, he means they must be converted and have a life that follows that belief, not being accused of anything that would scandalize the ministry. So this is MacArthur exegeting the passage about the qualifications of an elder. And one of the qualifications of an elder is having uh, his household in order, um, and is and 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 he's he's taking this to say that like his his family must be believers as well in order for them to be a qualified elder. This places MacArthur in a very precarious position, as noted. John MacArthur's son, Mark MacArthur, has been accused of defrauding clients in a sixteen million dollar investment scheme, and recently Mark MacArthur agreed to pay more than three hundred sixty-seven thousand dollars to the SEC to repay the money he netted in that scheme, as well as a civil penalty and interest. Clearly, Mark MacArthur has been accused of something that would scandalize his father's ministry. Violating security laws and defrauding clients is a very serious transgression, both legally and morally. So judging by John MacArthur's own standard, Pastor MacArthur is disqualified from ministry based on Mark MacArthur's behavior and should step down. So it made me think more about this idea in this conversation of like the, the outside things of a pastor that they don't have necessarily control over that could possibly disqualify them from being a pastor. And one thing that often brings up is, you know, a pastor's family. We often talk about, like, if we were to joke about who are the most troublesome kids in a a given church, they always say the pastor's kids are the worst or the pastor's kids are the ones that are going to be doing this or doing that. I think a lot of it's hyperbole, but that's often the, the stereotype. 
But my question to you is this, is MacArthur makes a hard line that even adult children who are living recklessly or will bring scandal, scandalous, scandal, scandalism, I don't know, will bring a, a tarnish scandal, their, scandal, that'd be a better word, scandal to their father's ministry, like would cause the pastor to be disqualified from ministry. So two questions for you guys. One, is MacArthur having bad like exegesis of this passage? And then two, how do you interpret these passages about the qualifications of an elder in regards to his home, his family, and how they affect the ministry of their father? I don't think this passage is written to people who are expected to have adult children in their 40s and 50s still around when they're serving. In the first century, when Paul's writing this and the average life expectancy is maybe 62 or 63 years old, this is kind of a non-issue. That said, the, the, the exegesis seems to indicate a household in order, not grown children off on their own. But I also think so many times the qualifications for elders that we have in the New Testament, they're really, really tough qualifications, and that's on purpose because I think what we're supposed to be recognizing is that very few, if any, people in their own strength are going to line up in all of the ways, which is why we need grace. Now, I don't think MacArthur has done a good job of pointing that out in the past 50 years of ministry, and now it might come back to bite him in the butt, or he'll just look like a hypocrite. But I think if someone's 40-year-old child is committing a crime, that is different than if you have a kid running away who's 15 and besmirching the family name, which is what I think Paul was most likely pointing out when he wrote these passages. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the same mind. I think it's probably a mistake in exegesis to think that this is applicable to adult children all the way until, I guess, death uh, on the part of the parent. Um, so I, I, when I think about those, I don't, I'm not worried about an elder whose adult children have gone wayward. Um, now, there could be an exception to that if you discover in that process that part of the reason they went wayward is that the elder candidate was an abusive father or, you know, didn't teach them the gospel, then that's a whole other reason he's disqualified. But I think what Paul is getting at there is kids who are in their household. And the way that our culture works, once you're an adult, you're no longer part of that household and you're really no longer the umbrella of authority um, of your parents. So I think it's a bad exegesis, and I just think he— this is what happens when you exegete the Bible poorly and you're too dogmatic about something. Um, you can end up kind of looking foolish, and that does seem to be what's happening here because if he was going to abide by his own standard, he should resign. Um, do I think he should resign because of this? No, I don't. Um, but based on his own standard that, you know, I mean, I saw the video clip and she quoted a sermon that he preached, um, you know, it seems inconsistent is what I would say. Um, now, if he knows it's inconsistent and is like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter for me, then, yeah, that's somebody who's double-minded and hypocritical, and that's another, that's a different kind of disqualification from from being an elder, uh, and in his tradition, an elder pastor, bishop, um, who carries authority in the local church. So 
I think it's a tough situation. Um, I mean, I hope that his son comes back from, you know, his wayward ways. But, yeah, it, it seems inconsistent to me. I mean, this makes me think of um, th- disqualifications for an elder having, like, not just, like, behaved children that don't bring, like, a yeah. reproach to the ministry, but, like, even that they have to be believers. Makes me think that a lot, like, John Piper has a son who's, like, famous on TikTok for... Famously his, apostate. Yeah, famously yeah. apostate. And that, that would make... I mean, Piper's retired, but like, that would make Piper, un, like, not... Um, Suitable to be an elder as well, and I, and I and I and I think like I even think of like more practically like even like you guys have young children like if your young children get into their teenage years and start acting reckless like I I, I think uh, I think the the heart of those elder passages those qualification passages is more of like is the father present and caring for or like attempting to like love these children to repentance or. Or being present in their life, or is he a disconnected, not present father, or is he enabling this behavior? Like, I, I think that uh, I think this this uh, this this lack of reality of the sinful world we live in and the uh, the forces that are trying to break up our own families. Does that make sense? And I think too, yeah, there's, think a, this is th- where there's a sense an of I'm dis- sorry video would or a sermon like, "Hey, I got this wrong." Yeah. To the elders that I've dismissed. I'm sorry, I got it wrong, would go a long way. Yeah. I think, too, there's a there's a sense in which disqualification could be taken in terms of, hey, I, I think elders can go in and out of qualification seasonally. Like, I think there can be seasons where you're disqualified from being an elder and a season where you're qualified to be an elder. Um, for instance, uh, in this case, let's say a child goes wayward and he's, let's say, 15 years old, and all of your time and energy is put into trying to, you know, take care of this kid and bring him back. And, and I just think there is a sense of prudence in which you go, you know what, I don't think I'm qualified to do this ministry right now because I cannot give the time and energy I need to give to this church and to my and to my home. And we know I, I would argue that your ministry, your first ministry being your home is in the text, in the scriptures. Uh, when Paul says, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I think that means emotional energy and presence on top of just financial support. So I think there's a sense in which there can be times when uh, a guy or a pastor has to disqualify themselves because the, – or the elders can say, hey, look, we you don't see it, but we see it. We want to care for you. Right now, you're just not – you're not able to fill the role of elder. We want you to go take care of this issue and come back and – you know, we can talk then. I, I think that's totally, in my opinion, that's totally feasible and reasonable. And that, you know, if Elder, if MacArthur wants to be consistent, maybe that's maybe that's a spot where he is right now. Maybe he needs to take some time off from the heavy duties of pastoring and teaching and preaching to go and deal with his wayward son. Now, again, I think his son's an adult, so he, you know, he's responsible for himself. But you can make that argument and. It's interesting because we don't do that. We don't think Paul means that, like, my two-year-old has to be a believer or I'm disqualified, right? Like, we make a nuance for that and go, well, yeah, but not a two-year-old can't believe yet. They don't know. Okay, well, then there can be nuance on the other end of childhood as well and go, they're an adult now. They're out of my household. They're out of my care. That's no longer what Paul is intending. The 
I, I have an uncle who was dismissed from a ministry position, which and it was messy and crazy. Uh, he was the principal of a Christian school, but the church that operated the Christian school had him listed as an associate pastor so that they could give him a housing allowance um, and not pay him what a principal should actually be paid. So way to go for uh, them being cheap. But my, my cousin got pregnant her senior year of high school, and the church was like, well, since technically you're a pastor, not just the principal, you know, you're, you're out. And even at, for me as a middle school, I was like, but wait a second. This is, if this is like a one-time thing, this is not a perpetual lifestyle of sin. And if she wanted to go take care of it quietly, she could have done that. How is, how is this the same thing? Whereas someone defrauding thousands of investors out of millions of dollars is a long time. This is not a seasonal sin. This is something that has taken place over years and years. I could understand the argument from that point, like, no, no, this, this person is not someone who sinned. This is someone who is in a pervasive lifestyle of sin. And so I could understand some of his elders pointing to that. But again, this is, this guy's older than we are. This is this is not uh, someone living under the roof and under the authority of of MacArthur. So I think this is where he needs to. I don't think he will, but a a public acknowledgement of hey, I got this thing wrong, and I realize how painful me getting it wrong was for other people in the past. Is that would go miles and miles towards turning down criticism, but I think. Some people use criticism as a way to get their name out in the press these days. Yeah. Well, that's our episode. Uh, I appreciate uh, the thoughts and input on you guys. And I also appreciate the fact that uh, though we all come from different backgrounds, seeing a salacious Julie Roy's article gives us a lot to talk about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with that being said, if you want to uh, – Continue to keep this conversation going. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram. Leave us a voicemail or leave us a message on our Facebook group, and uh, we'll get on the page. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Frank Gilligan. <laughs> I was going to say the Tim's Tim part. Frank and, Gilligan uh, with the skipper oh, tune? Oh, nice, nice, nice. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.